Hello and welcome to the second episode of what is now going to become known as Film Fives with me, Russell Guyver, and my good buddy, Phil Newman. Hello, Phil. Good evening. <laughs> How you doing? Not so bad, thank you very much. Very, very curious to see uh, what you have up your sleeve for uh, your suggestions and uh, everything this evening. I'm hoping that I'm going to come out with this for a, li- a list of really, really cool films to watch that I haven't watched. We shall see. Yeah, well, you never know. Maybe, maybe. Um, this is the second episode. The first one, for anyone that hasn't caught it, was Hitchcock Top Fives. Um, and this one tonight is going to be our films of 2020. Um, we'll go into details on exactly what we mean by 2020 in a minute. Um, but just suffice to say that um, we thought we'd get this one out of the way. We did the, the other one around Christmas time. This one is now just into quite a way into January. We're doing it virtually on a monthly basis to start with. Um, but before we get any further into 2021, we wanted to have this look back at 2020. So um, the general criteria for this um, is going to be um, films that were released in the UK cinematically or equivalent to, given the COVID situation, um, in 2020. So they are predominantly, I'm suspecting, going to be films that are registered as 2019 officially because they were released somewhere um, or made by that time. Um, but they've been released in 2020. Um, if we didn't include that criteria, we wouldn't have much choice. <laughs> it would be a very, very short list, yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd be picking films I don't actually like that much, so that probably wouldn't be the basis of a very good no. top fives, would it? So that's what we're going to be talking about. Um, we'll be doing our fives to threes in part one and then our twos and ones in part two. That's the general plan. Before we get into that, though, Phil... Um, the Hitchcock episode that we did, the opening one, uh, we're both massive fans of Hitchcock. I presume you enjoyed yourself doing that, did you? It, yeah, it was it was interesting and it was good. And um, yeah, you have excellent taste. <laughs> because it was similar to what you picked. We, we, yeah, if, if you haven't listened to it, you had almost identical lists. I don't think that is going to be the case this evening. I think this is going to be, uh, these are probably going to vary a little more wildly. We shall yeah, see. Yeah, I think it- I think it is going to, isn't it? Um, just a couple of th- quick footnotes um, regarding the Hitchcock um, episode. One thing um, to mention was uh, Judith Anderson. We were talking about her in relation to, to Rebecca, which I had at number five, and you had uh, well, pro- provisionally yeah. at number seven for yours. Uh, you are right. She is Australian. She was born in Adelaide. I had a quick look through. So that, that uh, clarifies that. She had quite a standing as a um, theatre actress in her time as well. Um moved to America when she was 21, and then her Hollywood career went on from there. Um, she was also big mama in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, I noticed when I was Googling oh, okay. that today, which I didn't realise. So that's quite an impressive later role She'll for her always well. be Mrs Danvers to me. <laughs> I can't imagine that exactly. else. <laughs> um, the other thing to do with Hitchcock, we were talking about Psycho. I had Psycho at number one. You had number three, wasn't it, in the I end? Think I think it was, yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's one thing I've since discovered, which I never knew about Psycho, just by chance. I was watching a, a Mark Kermode episode, Secrets of Cinema, that he's got running at the moment on the BBC as we speak. And um, they did an episode um, this week which mentions um, a shower scene in a previous film, which looks to have influenced Hitchcock, which is interesting. Oh, OK, um, I've heard of that. Yeah, it's, it's your um, archetypal pub quiz question is, what's the first film to have a flashing toilet? And everyone goes, psycho. Yeah, maybe yeah, it wasn't. 
<laughs> well, this, well, this is to do with the seventh victim, which is, I think, a British film, 1943, directorial debut for Mark Ronson, who went on to be Oscar nominated as a director for both uh, Peyton Place and The Inn of the Sixth of Happiness uh, in the late 50s. Um, but what happens is it's a film with loads of homoerotic undercurrents, this film, The Seventh Victim. It's a, it's centred around murders going on. Um, and there's a scene where the main character is confronted by somebody, another woman character, um, while she's having a shower. And the way it's presented is the figure appears behind the shower curtain in a very, very similar fashion okay. to the opening scene sequence to the shower scene in um, in Psycho. So that was an interesting bit of info I got this week, which is quite um, worthy of mention, I guess. Um, another thing to mention, we've we decided, haven't we, on Film 5, says the title for this. Yes. Um, based on the fact that predominantly this is going to be themed around us picking our top fives top in various fives. different categories. Or possibly bottom fives. We, uh, or, yeah, exactly. A combination of five things that we feel strongly about, yeah. Yeah, that's true, yeah. And we haven't gone film fave fives or anything. It's just. I think fives. towards the end of this, I am going to ask you for your t- most awful films that you've seen in uh, 2020, came out in 2020 as well, because mm. there were some turkeys. Let's be perfectly honest. <laughs> There certainly were, yeah. Um, interesting. I haven't thought about that, to be honest. Let's let's see if I can get anything off the cuff as time goes on. Okay. Well, without any further ado, um, let's have a look at the, um, the the year in film. I mean, there was it's a weird year, first of all, wasn't it? We have to mention. It's a very um, weird year. Ultimately, with the exception of one or two, there were no blockbusters. Yep. Which we is... had, of course, famously James Bond was put back about five times, yeah. still yet to be released. I think it's still supposed to be coming out this autumn now, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Christopher Nolan's Tenet, which is another one of the big blockbusters, did get released, um, which was an interesting choice that they decided to just roll with it anyway. And it was pretty much all you could see yeah. in uh, mainstream cinemas um, did, for the did whole you get of the to period the cinema? it was open. Did you get to the cinema much last year? I, I did get a fair, fair bit, yeah. Oh, I got okay. to see something like 20 to 30 films. Um, at the cinema? At the cinema, yeah. Yeah, it's mad, oh, I know. I managed a handful, and yeah. that was it. Well, I saw a fair few before lockdown in March, and then obviously we had a, a sort of like a, a, a tentative re-releasing of yeah. cinema doors, didn't we, being opened. Um, so I managed to squeeze in with masks on and see a few things. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was good to eke something out of it. And um, so maybe we'll talk about cinema going as a general habit later yeah. on. But obviously, yeah, a large part of the year was uh, a problem. Things were closed. Um, a lot of what you might have seen, what I might have seen, was released cinematically, but we might have seen on the small screen. That's another thing. And I guess we're going to debate about things to do with streaming, things that were released yeah. simultaneously and all that sort of stuff. Um, what it, does mean, is... it does mean that, that, that I mean, no, ordinarily at the end of January, I would not be in a good place to say what the best films of the previous year were. <laughs> this this is very much a one-off. I think I, I think I worked it out. I've watched fifty-nine films that came, had a UK release date last year, so I like to think I can pick the top top five from that. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've, there's a, there's quite a lot of choice. There might not be many blockbusters, but there's plenty of other things going on. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a broad, long list of about 25 or to start with. And look at some of the release dates, January the 1st, January the 1st, January the 10th, 17th, yeah. 24th, um, January 31st. Once you get to the Feb middle 7th, of February, it all starts going a bit quiet, not much, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's weird because I think it was quite a lot of stuff happened to be coming out early in the year. Obviously, yeah. they're glad it did now, uh, seeing what happened afterwards. But uh, there we go. Right. Without any further ado, then. 
let's have a look. Um, we've, got, we've got our top fives. Um, first of all, Phil, I don't know about you, but I found this pretty difficult. Um, my Hitchcocks, I, I found it difficult just selecting which order to put the top three in. But I found the top five in general fairly easy to to settle on, or at least most of it. With this one, I found it a little bit difficult, to be honest. I had about eight or nine worthy of a place and I had to make some tough decisions. What about you? Uh, for me, ultimately, there, there are three films that came, that came out that I think were genuinely kind of almost mini instant classics. And there were another three or four films that I thought very, very, very good. And I really, really enjoyed there. And then there was behind that. There's a whole other bunch of films that were fun, but not quite up to the standard of the previous two groups. Yeah. 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 That's probably about where I'm at as well, actually. Right. Who's going to go first? I can't remember. I think I went first last time, I think. So do you want to, do you want to start? Yeah, no problem. So number five, I'm going to controversially come in with a film that got universally panned by pretty much every single critic. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> love it i love it go on so talking. the best action film by a country mile of 2020 was train to busan presents peninsula it's fantastic <laughs> nobody else seemed to like it they if you look at all the reviews they came out and they all said well it's not as good as the first one it's a different yeah. cast it's a different fit it's a very very different film take it on its own merits Take it as a stand, kind of a standalone film set in the same world. It's basically Escape from New York meets The Walking Dead, and that that's just brilliant. That's just brilliant. Have you seen it? Do you know what? It's on my list, but I haven't seen it. No, I forgot to look at that one. I should have probably had a look before we we got to where we are now. Um, and I've just realised I'm spilling so, loads of beer all over the floor as well as we speak. Well, while you do that, I'll I'll set the scene. So it's set yeah, four years it, after yeah. the, the zombie uh, outbreak in Train to Busan. If you haven't seen Train to Busan, I thoroughly recommend it. Where, yeah, that is a great film. Where Train to Busan is, is a very exceptionally well-paced, well-timed, very thrilling suspense film, this is just The Walking Dead and Escape from New York combined in Korean. That's exactly what it is. Um, the Korean in Peninsula has been devastated and a former soldier who managed to escape over to Hong Kong was given the, messi- the uh, mission to uh, travel back through a blockade back into Korea and, and locate a truck which had $20 million left hidden on it. And he runs into, none, obviously, he runs into zombies, but he also runs into uh, a few survivors as well. And it's just so much fun. It's, I mean, it's a proper sequel. It's just batshit mental. Um, it's, there's just so much going on. It, there's loads of action scenes. There's, lo- I mean, there's loads, loads, loads happening. Um, th- it's very, very inventive. There are things in this you haven't seen before. There's a lot of things you have seen before. If you want to kind of think about it, it's essentially your, your, your stop 1980s action movie kind of made now. There's nothing new. There's nothing special about it. I absolutely loved every single second of it. And I can't believe that everybody pretty much wrote it off. Yeah, well, I'm glad to say I haven't written it off, but I haven't seen it either. Um, as I, I suppose in this particular instance, I can take the um, the listener's view of you know a, a listener that hasn't seen it. Um, having seen the first one, um, yes. Does it? Does it's it? Do you have to have seen it? The first one? No, you do not. No. So it's, stand alone. Right. It's good, good yeah. Well. I mean, it sets the scene, but ultimately, zombies. That's all you need to know, really. I mean, it's set four <laughs> years afterwards. It's done by the same guy. So the director, and apologies if I mispronounce it, Sang Ho Yen. 
Um, he has a background in animation. Train to Busan was his first film. He then made a film called uh, Psychokinesis, I think, which I haven't got around to seeing yet. And then he made, this is his third non-animated film. And there's just, yeah, there's just so much going on. It's just, I mean, it's just brilliant. You've been loving Korean cinema, haven't you? You've really been getting into it. And um, obviously, uh, Bong is the man who's been causing, you know, yeah. creating all the attention. But there is a low more besides, isn't there? Oh, there's a, there's um, a long list. Yeah, there's this a, is a good example. Of fantastically that. inventive. It's it's a different world that you haven't that you kind of haven't really really seen before. Yeah, and and this is I mean this guy certainly knows what he's doing. I don't know what he's up to next. I don't know if you can have a third train to Busan, but. Uh, <laughs> I loved it. It also kind of it set a bit of a uh, template. Pretty much most of my favourite films this year were directly kind of written and directed by combos. So you can probably guess where I'm going through from the rest of this. Yeah. Um, there's a it's a bit of a running theme this year. Most of my uh, favourite films were kind of written and directed by uh, by the same chap. Yeah. Um, but, I was going to. Just... Just mention actually mentioning Bong, um, Snowpiercer, one of his earlier films, I caught up with off the back of a certain other release that came out this year, yeah, um, along with Okja and some other things I've been meaning to see. I haven't seen the anyway. TV show of Snowpiercer yet. I've heard no, I haven't. It's a good, so I haven't um, actually got around to it. Apparently, it's still worth seeing. But um, yeah, the, yeah, the film Snowpiercer. It's based on like was, a French graphic novel, I think. Yeah, and again, it's based. It's another Korean film based on a train, and it's yeah. hyper real, I suppose you could call it. Um, it's it's very different to Train to the Sun. Um, yes, and no doubt to to its uh, sequel as well. But um, you know, there seems to be a bit of a recurring theme going on there with Korean cinema, amongst other things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe we'll yeah. do an episode on that in the not too uh, distant future. <laughs> but if you want a load of bang for your buck, you want a big, stupid action film, you could do a lot worse. Excellent. All right. Well. I've gone for something also um, of foreign extraction, but um, not anything like your pick. I've gone for, a, I don't know if you've seen this, um, film called The Painted Bird, um, which... I'm I have not face. even heard of it. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's quite a film. This is, for me, a film that is uh, pure cinema in one sense. It's, it's very much a visual feast for the eyes. Um, I'll get into some details in a minute, but the general concept is it's about a young Jewish boy somewhere in Eastern Europe. It doesn't say where, um, who's seeking refuge during World War Two, or at least it appears to be, uh, where he encounters many different characters. That's the general synopsis. Um, it goes on. Storyline in general says in an unidentified area of war torn Eastern Europe, a young boy is sent by his parents to live in safety with his aunt. But she dies unexpectedly at the beginning of the film. And so he sets off on a journey to return home. He roams along in a wild and hostile world in which only local rules, prejudices and superstitions apply. His struggle for virtually uh, for virtually physical survival itself um, after the war turns into a battle of a different type, a battle that he doesn't even realise, a fight with himself, a fight for his soul, for his future, says the uh, synopsis on okay. IMDb. Um, that paints the picture of it. Um, it's it's shot in black and white. Um, it's got a dreamlike quality. I'm, I'm a real sucker for films that do that well, and this one does. Um, when I say dreamlike, in this case, it's horror. It's it's a nightmare. Oh, fantastic. The whole for the whole thing. It's not horror horror. It's just horrific. Okay. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Basically, okay. This guy goes through a series, this young lad goes through a series of torments, punishments, gruelling experiences. It's unremitting, unrelenting. 
um, grimness. It's um, it sounds horrific as as an experience to watch, and for some people they hated it. It has divided opinion, um, okay. but for me, I I loved it because it has that dreamlike element. It is a film that's got just that that sense. It just takes you completely out of normality and into a different world. You really get. We were talking about immer- immersing in films yeah. last time, weren't we? This really does immerse you in its world. Um, it's got a series of shady characters that seek to exploit for their own purposes. Um, interesting film. It's by a guy called Vaclav Mahu, um, writers of Jersey, Kozinski, and Vaclav and Mahu. I'm presuming himself. it's Polish. Uh, yeah, I think actually that's a good mm. point. I didn't check the details on that. I think it is. Um, it only got 7.4 on IMDb, by the way, just for reference. Um, but it's, uh, it's a really interesting film. It's okay. very long. I think if I've got a criticism of it, it is a bit too long. And remember, we were talking about this last time. Films could be very long and be the right length or very short and be the wrong length. Yeah. It really does depend on, on the film. This one for me is just a bit long. That's my only criticism of it. Um, but I loved the harrowing element of it. And it's just, yeah, it's just a brilliant piece of cinematography. Um, the, the acting's fine. It's got really quirky characters. There's no one famous in it, um, yeah. from our point of view anyway. Um, and, and I like that about films as well sometimes. You don't know yeah. the characters, the, the actors. You can just immerse yeah. yourself all the more. Um, I found it a fascinating film. I even acquired a copy of the poster <laughs> off the back oh, of that, okay. <laughs> uh, which is quite a cool... Uh, it's, it's a depiction of one of the torments that this boy has put through uh, to do with being buried up to his uh, up to his neck in in the earth. So it's... Um, it's crazy I'm sure stuff. your wife loves having that up the wall. <laughs> oh, I haven't got it on the wall. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for a, a scenario where I can introduce it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got more popular choices on the wall at the moment: Vertigo, uh, The Isle of Dogs, and um, uh, Brighton Rock, actually, which I've recently oh, three acquired. great films. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> but anyway, that's my number five. Um, that's interesting. So we've it. both come straight in with films that make none of the critics' lists whatsoever. Because i I got to be honest, I like to think I keep abreast of these things, and I've never even heard of that film. Excellent. That's what we wanted. <laughs> right. Okay, back to you for number four. So let's do it. Number four, Borat, subsequent movie film. Has to be done. <laughs> Um, yeah so uh, for those couple of people that may not have seen this Bora and his daughter Chutar uh, visit the US to offer her as a bride up to uh, the vice president at the time Mike Pence during the COVID pandemic and in the run up to the 2020 presidential election so let's get the negatives out of the way first yes um, it does appear very 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 scripted Yes, it's not as funny as the first one, but it is still funnier than anything else that you will see this year by a country mile. There are, I, I mean, as a question, you must have seen it. No, do you know what? You, you've, you've managed to pick another film I haven't seen. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've been relentlessly watching stuff on TV, both films and um, and TV shows, and yeah. I haven't got round to that one. I have to say. No, I have. It, I do intend to. It has more laugh out loud moments than any other comedy I've seen in the last several years. I mean, yes, yeah, some of them are really, really cringing, and sometimes it does lay it on a bit thick. Yeah. But as and, a and Giuliani put, scene is the famous one, isn't it? Which I've 
heard all about. That's, Mr. that's Hare, towards the end, yeah, where you can yeah. see Sasha Baron Cohen is trying to act, but he's genuinely scared when he makes mm. the comment, the kind of classic movie, I mean, of the classic line, lines of dialogue from uh, from 2020, I think uh, Rudy Giuliani, G- I've been drinking too much. Rudy, Rudy Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani <laughs> being yeah. told, she's 15, she's too old for you, has got to be uh, right out there. <laughs> I mean, straight after that, Donald Trump came out to defend his friend and he said that Sasha Baron Cohen was unfunny and a creep. And Sasha Baron Cohen's quite rightly said, thank you for the free publicity. I don't find you very funny either. So, <laughs> fair play. Well, I, I think um, unfunny and a creep is, is a pretty good self-description, isn't it? For good old Donnie. Uh, but... I mean, yeah, obviously... They make they they make a joke about it in the beginning, in that Borat is now obviously very famous, so he can't go around and do the things that he did in the previous film because everybody knows who he is. So he get hmm. he he they cast an unknown Bulgarian girl to come along and play his daughter, and she's absolutely fantastic, and she she goes for it, and she she is hilarious, and she. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> some of the things that poor girl had to go through. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 um it's funny as well because Sasha Baron Cohen's a, an odd one, isn't he? Because he's come through obviously the this I don't know what you call it cringe comedy stuff, hasn't he? But um, he's actually quite a decent actor in other films I've seen him in the Chicago yeah. Seven thing. Um, there's also um in Hugo the Scorsese film yeah. set in the station where he's playing a you know like a pompous kind of station yeah. porter or something, isn't he? Um. There's, there's well. a TV show on Netflix where he played an Israeli spy as well. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That, he was fantastic in that. Yeah, he's a decent actor. That's the, oh, yeah, that's the interesting I mean, bit about he it. He's can, not he just can, a, a clown. He's not just he? Ali G. Yeah. 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 He, he is interestingly, a smart guy. if they ever remade, and I've, there's absolutely no reason whatsoever that they should do this, but they, if they ever did remake the TV series Allo Allo, the um, British <laughs> policeman. He's a he's a, he's an absolute dead ringer, isn't he? I, I think maybe Pink Panther as well. I think he'd make a brilliant clue. So, actually, think, that's that's not a bad shout. Yeah. I think that would be fantastic. Yeah, I'm not not always in favour of remakes, but if if they were doing one of that, I would definitely give the green light to that one. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's another film that got kind of mixed reviews. Uh, I think again, much like uh, Train to Busan, a lot of people say it's not as good as the first one. It's not. But it's still well worth watching, and there's a lot of good stuff in it. And how he gets got away with I mean, there's one particular scene where he goes to a gun rally, gets up on stage, and starts singing an incredibly racist song. Um, you you only see the see it in the film, and you think, oh, I can't believe how he's getting away with this. If you read a little bit more into it, he ended up they ended up having to run away in an ambulance from people running after them, and Sasha Baron Cohen keeping the door shut so people couldn't board and attack them. I mean, they must have gone through all sorts of things making this film. They rushed it out specially. I mean, I think Sasha Baron Cohen essentially retired the Borat character in 2007, um, and he brought him back, basically brought him back out because he looked at the uh, state of America in uh, 2020 and thought. I there's an election coming and if there's anything I can do to kind of point people in a certain direction then that's what I'm going to do yeah fair play to him for that and um the thing is as well it's commonly said isn't it with Donald Trump he's such a ridiculous figure that you can't really parody him he's already beyond satire so all you can do is something like this actually to to get under their skin and poke at them rather than poke fun at them just poke at them literally 
yeah. uh, in in this sort of way, which that's interesting. Well, I look forward to seeing that one. It's um, not high art, but it is genuine belly laughs. And, uh, you know, <laughs> there's not been many of those recently, so I'll take them any way we can get them, quite frankly. Right. OK, I'm coming with my number four now. And this is where we may possibly for the first time have a crossover in terms at least of having seen the same film. Um, <laughs> this could be partly to do with the fact your other half is French. Um, so you may have been introduced to it, even if you hadn't intended to watch it anyway. Let's find out in a few seconds. As I say, that my number four is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Have you seen it? I have. And so when I sat down and thought earlier, I'm going to try and predict Russell's top five. I had that as your number two. So. <laughs> I'm sure you didn't have the, the, the painted birds on, on the basis. I've never even heard two. of that one. No. So, yeah, I'm out so far. So I've yeah, got, we explain, I've got Phil, one. Phil's been predicting my top five in advance. So um, we'll, we'll, we'll be having relaying the information. On I'm this trying to be go. a smart yeah. ass. Yeah. So, yes, I have watched Portrait of a Lady on fire and i've got to be honest it didn't really do a great deal for me yeah this is my film ponzi moment uh where i, yeah, I, 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 I indulge myself ponzi, uh, but... <laughs> um i mean the general synopsis um just to, just to go through it briefly is that um 18th century france a young painter marianne is commissioned to do the wedding portrait for eloise or Heloise, I don't know if you pronounce it with the H at the beginning, uh, without her knowing, because she's reluctant to have it done. Uh, therefore, Marianne must observe her model by day to paint her portrait from memory at night. Day to day, the two women become closer as they share Eloise's last moments of freedom before the impending wedding. That's the general premise. It does have it, erotic It's two and a half hours of two women looking at each other and then looking back at each other, and then looking at each other, and then looking yeah, back at each other this for is, two and a half hours. This is exactly the point. Happens. This is exactly the point I was going to make. <laughs> you can only get away with this if you're French. Yeah, I think you're right, <laughs> definitely. Somehow the French do this. You know, every nationality, whether you're indigenous to the country or whether you're just simply from another place but brought up there, you will have, to some degree, elements of the national psyche, the national identity in you and if you're french you are able to do this kind of film very well whether you like it oh, or not yeah. Phil, they 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 do do this kind of film very well sort of uh, meaningful looks um style emotional intelligence carried in performance um sexuality as a, an underlying vibe i suppose you could say in performance very kind of very actor-led roles yeah. with not an awful lot going on on screen, as you've just alluded to. Yeah. So lots of looks, glances, intonation, suggestion, yeah. suggestive meaning, that sort of thing. Um, it is very French. Costumes are good. It's an interesting location. It's it's brilliantly acted, and I think the casting is brilliant. Um, I think the central performances, the overall premises, whatever you think it is, it's it's not a great deal plot-wise. That's that that There's kind of nothing. goes with territory, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I think it is a, an absolutely classic example of the French doing French stuff very Frenchly, <laughs> and in the right mood, uh, I do like these kind of films. I do think the one criticism that I have of this film is the same criticism I have of the last one, The Painted Bird, which Too is long. that it could have been a bit shorter. Yeah, yeah, it could have been um, fifteen I, minutes. 
yeah yeah that's true i'd have got two and a quarter hours of my life back to watch action films (laughs) (laughs) i'm sensing you don't share my opinion on this film Um, (laughs) to be honest the best french film i saw this week was the truth which is actually a creator film so um Oh yeah, yeah. It wasn't as good as his other Japanese films, but That's I thought that was quite, um, that was quite Catherine Deneuve in it. Deneuve, yeah, I haven't seen yeah. it. Yeah, I've heard good things. Mm. It's it's interesting. It's not it's not as good as in a lot of his other work, and I'm sure we'll talk about him a lot in the future because yeah. it's some fantastic films. Um, but that was that was a kind of French film that I, I, I that had a lot of Frenchness about it despite having a Japanese director that I could, yeah. kind of enjoyed a fusion um, like that can be good can't yeah, it yeah no, no definitely but, um, I mean just a, a little bit further conversation on, on Portrait of the Lady on Fire I mean it's related to the portrait obviously yeah that, that's that's what that's related to there is an amazing scene with around the fire outside which I think it just just is is a real visual feast um there's some great general visuals some beautiful cinematography wardrobes good all that stuff um it is an impeccable film i think i don't think there's a hair out of place i don't think there's a uh, a moment in the frame where there's any mistakes any um missteps along the way so it's great in all those regards if you like french dramas that kind of settle back and not much is going on and just let it let it wash over you kind of dramas this is no, you. i mean there's a there is definitely chemistry and tension between the two actresses you can tell that's not yeah. something you can really fake very easily I'll, I'll admit that what yeah. in the in the two and a half hours that I sat through it I could tell <laughs> well you know there's there's definitely you know something happening there you know, it, but yeah, I can tell this is it. going to be more fun this episode because we're going to disagree, <laughs> aren't we? It's great. Yeah, you know, yeah both, I think we so. We both like Hitchcock. There's not going to be any major debate. No, no, here, exactly. This is going to be more fun. Right. Okay, well, that's my number four. What have you got at number four then, Phil? I've done my number four. I'm on to my number three now. Oh, sorry, you're number three. Yes, you're number yes. three. Right. Just so, check if you're awake. Yeah, or too drunk. Um, so, num- so, as I said earlier, the top three, these are films that I thought were kind of mini classics in their uh, in their own way and so for number right. three i have gone for the invisible man ah, have you seen that one i have yes oh, good I've seen a film At film. Last. you told I've me seen you've seen film 70 film. films from 2020 <laughs> and i'm thinking he must have seen all of the films that i'm going to pick <laughs> uh so essentially good because i want to talk about this because i thought this was brilliant so to set the scene a little bit a few years ago, um, they were there was a they were they were trying to set up this thing called the Dark Universe. I don't know if you remember this. It was Universal Pictures wanted to do a load of reboots of classic horror films. Yeah, and then they did the Mummy one with Tom Cruise, and it tanked completely. And they went, oh, maybe we shouldn't have committed to doing all these films after all. And it all kind of went on pause a little bit. And then from the ashes of that, somehow a remake of The Invisible Man was mooted. And it eventually, you know, I think they've decided now that they are going to do some of these films, but they're not going to have this shared universe concept. Hmm. They're going to let independent directors make independent films and see what they could do with it. And this is a classic example of this. Hmm. So I put the, I mean, there's a lot of very new, very interesting horror come out over the last couple of years. Um, the likes of Get Out, Us, Quiet Place. And I put this exactly in that kind of group of films. 
Um, so to set the tone before I start going on about how good this is. So Elizabeth Moss, uh, she flees her rich, controlling, manipulative, abusive husband. He then commits suicide and she starts rebuilding her life. But then events begin to kind of transpire that makes her suspect that maybe he's not dead after all. Hmm. Now, I thought this film was absolutely fantastic. I thought it was, I mean, that it, just from the opening opening scene of her escape, I was yeah. gripped right the way through to the last possible possible moment. It, yeah. it, 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 and there's so many inventive, interesting, useful things going on here. Mm. I think I mean, in terms of kind of classic scenes as the opening, there's a scene in a restaurant and you think, Oh, I didn't see that coming. Oh yes. <laughs> I don't, oh, no yes. spoilers, I but yeah, we won't do spoilers on this. Yeah, yeah. But um, no, I agree. I, I've seen the film. Uh, just to jump in there, and I, I agree. It was a really good thriller. I enjoyed it. It was. It made my long list uh, for definite. Um, I do like Elizabeth Moss. I'd like to talk a bit more about her. In a Nobody minute, but, uh, does kind of ab- abused, um, well, kind of troubled, harried it's... women like she does. I mean, I think that her performance yeah. is 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 the best acting performance that I have saw in 2020. Interesting. I thought she was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I mean, yeah. I know it's a genre piece, so critics won't mm. notice it, but I haven't seen anything better. She was just uh, completely, I mean, she's on almost every single scene and she's completely watchable. Well, we might come back to that, uh, the performance as, as being worthy of credit, shall we say, in relation to something we talked about off air beforehand, which we will talk about on air later on. Um, so, so maybe there's a, there's a, a question for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was just going to say exactly the same thing. She has played, she's made a niche market. I, I don't know how deliberate it's been, but she's, she she's started, played started niche... off in the West Wing. Yeah. And then she was in Mad Men, wasn't she? Mad Men, where yeah, she was quite an oppressed character in Mad Men for a fair while. And even, yeah, based on where it's set and when it's set and, and, and the particular yeah. world it's set in, i.e. advertising, she's going to be the victim of sexism and exploitation and various other things so and then of course she's been in the handmaid's tale yeah. and even top of the lake everything she seems to have been in there's been an element of her being exploited either emotionally she's or sexually always or... completely believable and yeah you, she's a very easy character to kind of not identify with but feel genuine sympathy yeah. for the way from yeah. her portrayal which is why she always gets cast in these roles and why she's she's very good at them I think she's a great actress in general. Um, I wonder, I'm, I'm not sure if I feel comfortable with the fact that she's only seemingly yeah. doing roles that have at least some element of that to the performance. Because she was almost a bit of a well, worry, wasn't she? It? Yeah. Yeah. Which one, sorry? Us. The, uh, oh, us. Jordan yeah, Peele of course. Film. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. 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 And I agree with you about all those horror films you mentioned earlier, by the way. I love them. Yeah. So I want to talk um, about Lee Winnell. Who's yes, the director of this film? So yeah. he is an Aussie di- director. He's actually an actor. Um, that basically he he kind of got his start by being a fre- being like a best mate of James Wan's. Right. So he he have you ever seen any of the Insidious films? I'm presuming you no. haven't. <laughs> so so there is. I mean, James Wan has set off. New, I love James Wan's work. Obviously, he um, he set off numerous franchises. He started with Saw. He also had the Sinister franchise. He's also known for the Conjuring universe now. Yeah. He also has um, a series of films called Insidious, 
Um, Lee Winnell is one of our characters in that franchise. He kind of has, has a, a kind of joke. He plays a character called Specs, who is a kind of support to a medium. And he's he, he's quite he's kind of him and him and his his friend who he's with, the two of them sort of just argue constantly, and they're kind of the comic relief in the film. Um, he directed the um, last Insidious film. I think I can't remember if it was three or four. To be perfectly honest, um, that was his first film, and it's your bog standard horror film. It's got all the right scares in all the right places. It's not set in the world like. He then made a film called Upgrade. Have you seen that? I haven't, no. It's no. fantastic. So it's a very, very, very clever science fiction action film that literally nobody's seen. It's on Netflix, and watch Upgrade. It's a really, really, really okay. good good film about... Well, I won't go into it too much. It, it It's it's to do with, you know, the te- technology and, and what can happen to people who get upgrades and what kind of abilities that they could have and where that could go. And that's an incredibly underrated. If I had to sort of name one of the t- top 10 underrated films of the last five years, it would be in there. And so now this is his third film. And it, it I think he's coming as a very, very assured director now. I think that his whole vision throughout this mm. film it's very tense. It's very sinister. It's very unsettling. There are some really iconic shots and really, really iconic moments. Please, 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 someone give him a James Bond film or a Star Wars film or a Marvel film and let him make something interesting. Yeah. That's, my that's pl- my plea to I'm Hollywood. definitely going to check that out. Yeah, I'm definitely going to check that out. And um, certainly in terms of Invisible Man, I think it's it's a strong thriller. It's got a strong identity. It knows what it's trying to do. Um, I think it executes it well. Performances are good. In, a couple of interesting concepts in there we, we won't get into because we don't want to spoil anything. There's quite but a lot so, of kind of Me Too moments and things like that that kind of made it kind of come across. Yeah. 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 And Elizabeth yeah. Moss, she really does wring every inch of sympathy out of you. Yeah. Mm. It's an interesting film. Yeah. Good Good choice. Excellent. Um, and Upgrade, I'm certainly going to look into that, by the way. Yeah. Um, it's well Netflix, worth watching. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, Okay, right. Well, my my number three is a very conventional choice, actually. Um, I think it's going to be one that would sit well with cricket with the critics. Critics, even we have both been on the beers. Um, By the way, I'm on I'm on Moon Dog. We're we're in lockdown, and I'm currently self isolating. So, uh, you know, any excuse for a drink. Seeing as I was hooking up with you for this podcast, I I started with a Moon Dog Old Mate, which is lovely. A uh, nice little uh, pale ale. And I've just been really enjoying Moondog's Splice of Heaven. Almost oh. sounds like a film, doesn't it? Pine Lime Ice Cream IPA. Oh, it's like a creamy, it. smooth, Not it doesn't taste very limey, actually. It's more ice creamy. Very nice. Yeah, it's going down well. So, um, yes, Critics was the word I was trying to say. It's a good Critics' Choice film, uh, but it is one I thought was an excellent film anyway. Um, so I've, I've got to name it. 1917. Um, so I had that as number five on my predictions of Russell's film. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I've got, got two, two out of three. Out of three. I'm feeling Not quite bad. smug now. I'm feeling feeling better. <laughs> Not bad at all. Well, it's the um, proof here. Waving a bit oh, of yeah. paper at you over the screen. Not that you can actually that. hear that, but you know. No, it's a cheeky one because I couldn't quite see what you've written, but I could see you'd written something. So that's a good little teaser, that one. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, 1917, of course, a lot of listeners, uh, that is if we've got any listeners at all, um, Maybe will, have, 
will have watched <laughs> they will have watched this film um it was a major release um set in april 1917 the western front two british soldiers sent to deliver an urgent message to an isolated regiment if the message is not received in time the regiment will walk into a trap and be massacred to get to the regiment they will need to cross through enemy territory time is of the essence and the journey will be fraught with danger that's the premise um as written by a guy called grant ss on um uh, IMDB. I hope SS at the end isn't of sinister means. Anyway, um, so that's the general premise. Um, it stars, of course, George Mackay in the main role. Um, and it, which it, is the other thing, kind of main thing to mention is that it's kind of done as one shot, isn't it? it yeah, famous yeah. for a, a very long tracking shot where he, he yeah. goes through various scenery on the on the uh, front line uh, as they go over over the top, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, in, yeah. Uh, in a well, trying to sneak over and to to get beyond the enemy lines and into uh, some some other neutral space where they can then get over to yeah. to the next area. Um, George Mackay, who's an excellent actor, he's always oh, good. He's um, in everything. In loads of there's things, one or two films we might mention actually in in footnotes, if not anywhere else uh, on this um, in this episode. He's always good. The only thing and that's um, is distracting for me is he looks really similar to a mate of mine called George, which is make, makes things very awkward. I can't help thinking about him when I'm watching him on screen. I think, <laughs> what's George doing? Oh, no, it's not that George. <laughs> <laughs> but um, he plays Lance Corporal Schofield, um, the main character. There's two, three, four major players in this, I guess you would say. Um, yeah. It's really tense. It's got this this long tracking shot in particular feeds into the whole tension around somebody doing a clandestine operation in the war, trying not to be spotted moving from place to place. Um, there's very gruelling scenes which have become commonplace, but in a good way, in most of the war depiction, war, war movie depictions I've seen in recent times. Ever since Saving Private Ryan, I think there's been that, that real thirst yeah. to depict the war as it is, you know, yeah. not, not pull any punches. And this, this is the same, you know, stepping through the squidginess of a dead body and there's mud yeah. and there's there's blood here and there, carcasses and all sorts of stuff. Um, there's an amazing set piece scene as part of that whole long shot with a plane coming in, which yeah. you would have seen if you've seen the trailers. Um, all in all, it's a very visceral film. It has a lot of scope. It, it, it's very cinematic. It very much belongs. Did you see on the it as screen. a cinema? Yeah, yeah. I did. I didn't. Did you see yeah. it in the whole uh, IMAX thing? Or... Not in IMAX, but I did see it on a very large. Yeah conventional cinema screen um i think that makes a lot of difference because i watched it on a laptop yeah it does you know what just just this is why cinemas need to be open again you don't you shouldn't watch films like this on a laptop or an ipad or even worse on a three-inch bloody iphone these films need to be seen (laughs) in the cinema here here completely agree with you you know what um when i watched um tarantino's reservoir dogs the cinema off the back of barry norman's raving review um and then I watched it again on the small screen, and it's a good film. And yes, it yeah. is. There, there is the whole. Um, they've they've nicked a load of stuff from Infernal Affairs and everything else. But it is a good film. But it does lose so much on the small screen. Another film like that is Clockwork Orange. Yeah. The small screen to big screen difference is yeah. so big. It, it, you you note when you watch it on a small screen, you realise how quite how, yeah. quite how long it is. Yeah. For a book that's only about 150 pages long, they didn't half stretch it out. But on the big screen, it's Stanley Kubrick. And yeah. on the little screen, it's... <sighs> yeah. 
I need to see <laughs> 2001 on a big screen, for example. I, yeah. um, there's been other stuff I've watched, which it really doesn't lend itself to the small screen. I mean, anything that's made for the big screen yeah. that has any kind of cinematic scope to it, um, as well, you, Guys, you've re- guys and girls, you've really got to see it on the big screen if you can. Yeah. And 1917 definitely falls into that category. It's got a visceralness, a visceral scope to it. It's got cinematography. It's got great performances. Um, it's got genuine tension. It's really well directed. Script is great. Casting's good. It's got so all, did the, it's you think, all the attributes. So I, that whole one tracking shot thing did my head in after a while. So in Sam Mendes's previous film. I think it was his previous film, which was which also started with a long tracking shot, which was Spectre, James Bond film. Yeah, you got the you you got it. You understood it's following James Bond around the Mexico Day of the Dead, mm. and it went off about ten fifteen minutes, and that was great. And then they went off and did the rest of the film. I sometimes felt that the tracking shot thing limited it. After a while, it meant that the, it just. Ah. I, I I think it would have been more interesting. I mean. To have, I mean, long tracking shots is great, but uh, I mean, but that whole bit with the, you say with the aeroplane, and I don't want to go into spoilers. I'd much rather have seen that sequence from the the pilot's point of view. Ah, you know, I, and I think that yeah. would have made it a lot more interesting than just following the same guys who are walking along a bit, and then they go in a mine, and then they come out, and then they come to a farm. Uh, it, 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 I, th- I, found, I thought it kind of limited the film. I've, I've got to be. Is there a sense of, of trying to make it as long as possible for the sake of it? You, you felt. I think. I think so. Yeah. I to think... make it the most famously long yeah. shot people will talk about that kind of thing. Yeah, I think. Mm. I think. I don't. I, I think the film. I mean, the film could have been a lot more, a lot more interesting if they kept quite a lot of long shots, but mm. just had a few cuts in. You know, showing a few other kind of areas. I mean, that's maybe it's a personal taste thing. Uh, I, I don't know. I thought it was a good film. It made my top 20 films. It didn't make my top 10. Yeah, I'll yeah. be perfectly honest. I thought that the, all the performances, the direction, technically it was brilliant, but I can't say I was gripped in the way that I was watching The Invisible Man. I've got to be perfectly honest. I didn't feel quite as invested in the characters. This it's is not... the beauty of film. Yeah, isn't it, Phil? exactly. We've all got different opinions. It's subjective. It means different things to different people, all that sort of stuff. And sometimes I just want to relax into a an epic scope mainstream film like this, which yeah. I don't know. It just hit the spot for me. I think on another well, day, I did, I did it enjoy done, it. Actually, I did enjoy it. I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more if I'd been in an IMAX cinema where there was speakers all around with bombs going off all around me and I was yeah. feeling the room vibrate. I think I would have found it a lot more entertaining than I did. Yeah, that, watching that's it with true. headphones on on a laptop. Yeah, where, where you've seen it. Yes, yeah, so in yeah. fact, your view is completely invalidated, come to think of it, <laughs> based on that. <laughs> you've gone quiet. Sorry, could you say that again? You in suddenly, fact, oh, there you go. No, that's fine. You suddenly went silent. Oh, that's all right. Well, I was okay. so upset with what you'd said, Phil. Um, Apologies. <laughs> I could see you ranting no, no in the I'm... screen. <laughs> no, I was just saying it's um, it's the equivalent of um, you're, you're sitting there with headphones on listening to me, and that can't be a pleasant experience. So I can understand how 1917 wouldn't have been. With the Ultimately, same what what I wanted from 1917 was the World War One equivalent of Saving Private Ryan. And it is uh-huh. 
We still do not have the World War One equivalent of Saving Private Ryan. I don't know. Probably not. Although there's been some interesting films around World War One, I, I think. Um, have you seen, by the way, have you seen They, they Shall Not Grow Old? That, that was fa- yeah, that was fantastic. That was really interesting, Peter wasn't it? Jackson. Yeah, mm. that was I really, saw that really this year, well done. but it wasn't from this year, so we can't include it. But I did see he's that making a, He's making a documentary about the Beatles now, isn't he? And I'm thinking, mm. stop making documentaries and go back to making proper films, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> he's been linked with doing um, the Dan Busters remake, and Peter Jackson's version of the Dan Busters would be fantastic. And he's also bought up the rights to the Temerera books, which is which I've read a couple of which are a series of novels about the Napoleonic Wars fought on dragons by Naomi <laughs> Novik. I want to see that. I don't want to see a film about the Beatles, Peter. Go and make that film instead, please. <laughs> by the way, in case anyone doesn't already know or hasn't already picked it up, uh, Phil is a massive Peter Jackson fan, yeah, uh, right from the off. Geek. Yes. Oh, yeah. Way before the Lord of the Ring years. Um, oh, it was, goes all uh, the way back to to uh, Bad Taste, obviously. Bad Taste and the Frighteners was, yeah, that was late and in Brain the day. Dead by then, and it? Meet the Feebles. Yeah, all that good yeah. stuff. Excellent. Good. 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 Right. Um, so that's my number three. Um, Should we pause so that, it now and get another beer and then come back for number twos? Well, I've just finished this one, so it feels like the perfect time, doesn't it? So we will indeed pause here. Um, it's time for the intermission. The curtains are closing on the screen. <laughs> um, so, yes, for now, we shall take a break back in just a moment. OK, we're back. We're refilled on the beer front. I have now... Um, divulged into a bit of Gypsy Hill Brewery stuff, which I love. New Pals. So I've gone from old mate to new pals. Oh, there you but go. It's still the same old Phil. <laughs> well, hopefully everybody that's listening to this are new pals. Yes. Yes, there we go. There we go. And I have to say, this is bloody tasty. Um, Gypsy Hill Brewery is superb. If you want to sponsor anyone, Gypsy Hill Brewery, hello. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll happily shout your praises because this is great beer, really nice. Um, speaking of which, during the interval, we've also dis- decided that we would like to see the introduction via invention of beer portals so we can share beers between the two of us, Phil. And, and yeah, come on, the scientists. You've got COVID fixed. Beer portals, <laughs> it's the future. <laughs> and on that note... We're coming into our number top two, two aren't we now? Top yes. two. Right. So, my number two, The Trial yes. of the Chicago Seven. Ah. Absolutely fantastic. Mr. I don't Baron think this has, has received anywhere near as much fanfare and attention as it should. As a kind of ensemble piece, this is just, it's just wonderful. So, it's the true story of seven, or really eight, um, people on trial stemming from various charges surrounding the uprising attending the 1968 Democratic National Convention in Chicago. Now, let me just start off by saying I'm a very, very big Aaron Sorkin fan. So this was preaching to the choir. Everything Absolutely. that man touches is just fantastic. With the possible exception of Quentin Tarantino, I don't think anyone writes dialogue anywhere remotely approaching the level that he does. Let's be honest. I love sorting so, stuff. Yeah, oh, dialogue is, mean, is he, yeah. dialogue is king. Yeah, he started off pretty much doing the West Wing. Uh, he moved on. He did the, the Facebook film, Social Network, which was yeah. absolutely amazing. 
recently he's made a couple of other pieces um i think this film originally started off um years and years about 20 odd years back i think steven spielberg turned around to uh, aaron sorkin and said can you write a script on this and he didn't even know what he was talking about and so he was like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And he went away and he wrote it. And various people have been attached over the years, come and gone and come and gone to the point where a couple of years ago, Aaron Sorkin did a film called Molly's Game and Steven Spielberg kind of watched it and said, you know what? I think you're in the, you're, you're the right guy to direct this. So following on from most of the other films that I've done so far, it's written and directed uh, by the same guy. Yeah. And it's an absolutely fantastic absolutely fantastic piece um i mean considering it's an american film there are a lot of brits playing the american real life historical characters let's come back to it we've got sasha baron cohen again yeah. who is almost as equally hilarious in this film as he is in bora i mean he he steals this film completely for me yeah he does Eddie redmayne is the, the the kind of emotional core i can understand that but yeah. Every now and then you beat a bit of light relief. He's just hilarious. He's just so, I mean, he's just got those flourishes, doesn't he? He just, yeah, it's he a, just it, adds it's, it's a bit, it's not a cameo. It's a bit more than that. He's involved yeah. all the way through, but every moment that he's in is just absolute gold. Oh. Um, yeah. The other, um, Mark Rylance is absolutely fantastic, as you would expect. And the, um, Alex Sharp as well is fantastic. So a lot of Brits involved. Um, and, a thoroughly, thoroughly, uh, for, for a courtroom drama, which is not really something that is my cup of tea, I think they can kind of get a little bit slow, a little bit boring. Yeah. But, I mean, this one, it covers the courtroom drama, it covers the events, there are a lot of flashbacks, flash forwards, moving between what's going on. And it's just an, a, a, just a wonderful, wonderful film. And it's a, yeah, it, it's a true thing that happened, but it's equally, I think, Aside from Borat, I think this is the second funniest film I've seen this year. It's there are yeah. moments of absolute hilarity in it, despite moments of tragedy and moments of pain and moments of that didn't really happen, did it? It's just some of it's, it, it, it just keeps a smile on your face, and and it's one of those kind of uplifting films that makes you think after a terrible year like we had last year that there is some faith to be had in humanity after all. Yeah, you're doing a good job of making me regret one of my choices now, Phil. Yeah, yeah it's a good <laughs> shout. It's a good shout. Yeah, it, it is great. And as you said, courtroom dramas, I, I've seen some really good films um, with that at the core. Um, things like Class Action was a good film, for example. Yeah. And um, I, I really enjoyed the... Twelve um, Angry Men. Twelve Angry Men, of course. Uh, and the John Cusack film that I can never remember the name of. Um, it's gone out my, my Cousin Vinny. No, no, not that. It's... Um, it's with uh, it's with Gene Hackman actually um, as the oh, okay. as the mentor figure who's become a rival in the, in this court case. Um, that's a great film as well, whatever it's called. It'll come back to me later. Yeah, <laughs> probably footnote footnotes. I'll add that on at the end. Um, but um, yeah, you're right. It's it's not easy to get that right and to get it engaging enough to be something you can more than just appreciate to actually come out buzzing from, or in yeah. this case come away from the tv screen at home buzzing from <laughs> um i'm assuming you saw it at home didn't you that one yeah yeah it's, it's i think um i think that this was being geared up for a kind of a yeah kind of big one, sort one, of tentpole release and then i think netflix came along and offered 50 million dollars and said we'll take it off your hands and they were like so. That's all right, right. Mm. We, we haven't really got any other options <laughs> yeah that's right 
but yeah, it's a good film. Very good film. It's a good shout. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, one of the other interesting things to mention about it is that the, the character of Fred Hampton, um, who was a member of the Black Panthers, he was treated exceptionally uh, badly by the Chicago police, obviously, and his whole kind of st- story, I mean, he forms a part of the story. While they, they finished filming it, and I think Aaron Sorkin was editing it, mm. and the whole Black Lives Matter movement came along and I think Aaron Sorkin suddenly decided to recut the film afterwards and he stopped he put oh. a lot more the photograph sequences of the police smiling with the you know yeah. Yeah. beating people in the background etc etc were all added in the wake of all of these things going on yeah. so it, it does feel quite prescient and quite definitely a kind of 2020 yeah. film I mean, it's worth mentioning at, at this point apart from Covid Black Lives Matter was by far and away the other predominant feature of the year yeah. and Netflix a load of their stuff I don't know if it still does but it had the tags didn't it Black Lives Matter themed films and yeah. there was one about the four lads in the park Central Park um I can't remember what it was called now and that that was quite powerful as well based on the true story there was loads of these stories seem to come up as well I think a lot of it was by I don't know if you'd call it happy chance but but by chance anyway um uh, the timing was interesting, and certainly it was for that film. Yeah, and Sorkin. Be, uh, uh, yeah, sorry, uh, I've got to be honest. Um, feeling quite ashamed of myself. Uh, as part of last year, Steve McQueen released five films. Better come on to I, that. Yeah, I haven't watched any of them, and I need. Well, I to, have. I should have. I actually excluded them on the basis that I wasn't really sure whether they were includable within the criteria. Um, we'll have a discussion about that at the end, because yes. I have seen them all. So we'll, we'll yeah. talk about that afterwards. But um, You can recommend yeah. where I should start with them, but they are something that I should watch. But with COVID and everything else going on, yeah. there was only so much <laughs> tragedy that I, my poor <laughs> conceited soul is capable of taking at the moment, and it's <laughs> embarrassing to say. Just as a footnote, Molly's Game, I think that's about the only film I was a little bit disappointed with, Sorkin-wise. Yeah. It wasn't bad, but it... It's all right. But it's not Steve Jobs. It's not The Social Network. And it's not The West Wing, which is probably one of my top TV shows of Great, great show. Yeah. Shows of all time. I hate saying show. I don't like the whole Americanization. Oh. Great show, great program, great series. Yeah. Can we say show because it's American? Maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I think we get past for that. <laughs> we get away with it, can't we? Um, shall I do my number two then? Yes. Let's, find Let's see out how you... close I was with my my predictions, and then I'll well, tell you what pre- other two predictions were. Okay. Well, well, no, we'll do that at the end. My prediction is that you've got this prediction wrong, but I may okay. be wrong. We'll see. Okay. My number two, we've gone back to France. Yeah, I got it wrong. Aha, uh-huh. good, good. It's Les Miserables, but not as we know it. Um, this is um, loosely based on some of the characteristics, some of the themes, or a lot of the themes from the original story, which, of course, is a Victor Hugo novel later made into a musical and various film adaptations, dramatised or musicalised, according to uh, however you want to look at it. Um, But this version is a new modern take on the general themes. Um, It's about a cop from the provinces who moves to Paris to join the anti-crime brigade of Montfermeil, I think that's pronounced, um, on the outside. Flawless. 
<laughs> we get your wife in to check on that. I'm pretty <laughs> sure that wasn't flawless. Um, discovering an underworld where the tensions between the different groups mark the rhythm. Now, this fits in with your theme about writer-directors. It's Lajlai, I think it's pronounced, L-A-D-J, first name, surname L-Y. He's a, a French, uh, presumably ethnic uh, Frenchman um, of some description. I'm not quite sure where. I think possibly North African, but I'm not too sure. Anyway, um, he also wrote the screenplay, uh, or co-wrote the screenplay, I should say, um, along with a guy called Giordano Giedolini, I think, I think that's pronounced. Um, yeah, the cast... I'm, sure, I'm sure he would be really happy with your interpretation. <laughs> Just to torment myself <laughs> even further, I shall explain that the stars are Damian Bonard, Alexis Manenti, Jibril Zonga, I think. <laughs> they're all thereabouts it is a cast of people we've not heard of basically over here um they're all thereabouts um but the the overall storyline according to imdb to, to explain in more detail um it says assigned to work alongside unethical police veterans chris played by alexis manenti and guarda played by Gibral zonga in paris's anti-crime brigade brigadier stefan ruiz a recent transplant to the working class suburb of montfermeil where Victor Hugo wrote his famous novel, Les okay. Miserables, struggles to establish a working relationship with influential community leaders while attempting to maintain some semblance of peace between his disreputable team and the citizens of the local housing projects. When what should be a simple arrest goes tragically awry, the three officers must individually reconcile with the mob, uh, sorry, reconcile with the aftermath of their actions while angling to keep the neighbourhood from retaliating with mob violence. Beginning at a César-winning short film, the film was inspired by the 2005 riots in Paris. It was selected to compete for the Palme d'Or at the 2019 Cannes Film Festival. I hate the idea of the Cannes Film Festival, by the way, but uh, nonetheless. Um, where it won We the all know Prize. what actually won the Palme d'Or at the 2019 Film Festival. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, indeed yes we'll come to that um, yeah. and it was selected as france's entry for um i think one of the best best screenplays it's it's basically um a modern take on old themes it's about poverty it's about disenfranchisement it's about oppression by authority it's about authority figures taking advantage and putting putting the proletariat down you could say all yeah. of the themes of Victor Hugo's novel, which I have read, actually, it's a very good novel, um, are still recurrent even in this modern day. And that is clearly what this film director has set out to depict. Um, what I love about this film, it's punchy. It's, it's set around the projects of Paris. It's, it's punchy. It's edgy. It's fresh. It's, it's visceral. It's, um, it's constantly got you on your toes. What I love about it is that it's not predictable you think it's going in one direction it doesn't quite go where you think it's going it goes somewhere else ultimately it's a, it's a procedural uh, to start with a police 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 procedural try and say that after a few of these <laughs> um where this this guy from the provinces has come in he's, he's going around with a couple of guys on patrol and you just see them dealing with the locals um so there's prejudices going in that one of these guys, he seems to be racist, bigoted, a bully. He's possibly of ethnic origin himself by the looks of it, but he's got his own prejudices he brings. He's got this skewed sense of what a police police officer should be. He's saying it's about being making fear 
for the uh, for the other people so that there's a sense of respect through fear okay. whereas of course this this guy from the provinces has got a different philosophy on it so he disagrees with that but it doesn't just go with that whole narrative like that you see jumps and changes and twists in not not huge plot twists but there's twists in the sentiments in the sensibilities in the mentality of the characters as it goes on and it just keeps you on edge it keeps you guessing where it's going to go you see really uncomfortable pretty much minuscule detail as far as the plot goes scenes uh, they're, 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 the, the main racist guy is, is picking on these young black teenagers these girls smoking on the, on the street he comes up and there's this really unpleasant ugly scene of of him just being a dick for no good reason at all and to no purpose it does it doesn't serve his overall agenda even i think he's just enjoying doing that and so you've got moments like that but you've got moments where he seems to have a heart or he seems to have a bit more to him than has originally met the eye and i love films that have got all those details going yeah. on that ambiguity player the, all the players in this in this story are three-dimensional um you can't say fairer than that if you if you've got characters who you really believe are real people they're not just black and white villains in the 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 cowboy with a black hat on kind of sense these these are characters who have got their flaws they've got their their maybe redeeming features here and there maybe suppressed under a a weight of various other elements that come with being performing as who you 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 feel you need to perform as as a person in that environment it felt very real it felt very urgent it felt very edgy and as the film builds through several plot lines which i won't explain actually because i I just don't want to spoil any of this film for anyone i've got to be honest i haven't watched it but i want to now i will be watching it this weekend excellent i really recommend it really recommend i can find it anywhere yeah, I, I'm not sure where it's available at the moment. I saw it at the cinema. Um, I'm not sure where it is. It, it, it is yeah. on the streaming service somewhere. Yeah, but um, what, what I like is you've got kids at the heart of this as well. Um, so you've got elements of La Haine, which it has very, very oh, clearly that. been linked yeah. with. I think, firstly, I think it's better than La Haine. And I love La Haine. Big words. Um, very big words. And there's a lot in common. Obviously, the projects, you know, uh, yeah. this whole edge, you know, all that stuff is there. But I think it just adds extra elements in. And you've got the kids. So you've almost got that sense of the kids from the Wire TV series. There's there's elements of that. The kids play a really pivotal part in this storyline uh, for several reasons. Again, I won't go into why, but there's several plot points um, to, to what's going on. It's matter of fact stuff almost that's going on. It's about the um, the underlying narrative of what what's bubbling up under the surface here, and it leads to a crescendo of an incredible final set piece, which is not what you'd imagine is going to be the yeah. the end of the film either. Oh, okay, it doesn't well, take I don't you away spoilers. Think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I won't say any more than that. Other than to say, it's utter. You've sold it very very well. I, 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 I want to watch it now. <laughs> That's what I was hoping to do. If you hadn't seen it, so. It's utterly gripping. It's utterly and it's intense. another one that I, I haven't seen it on a great deal of kind of critics lists or uh, anything like yeah, that. Yeah, it's not been it's not been mentioned to the degree that I think it should have been. You were saying about the Invisible Man. I think this, this applies in the same way. It hasn't had the critical acclaim that I think it perhaps could have done. Um, mm. For a while, uh, and this is a mark of how good I I thought it was when I came out of the cinema and the next day as well, commenting on a couple of WhatsApp groups of mates. I was still, 
half-minded to suggest this was the best film I'd seen this year. Bearing in mind what you're suspecting, probably yeah. correctly, is my number one. Yeah. Um, that's some accolade. Um, it didn't quite make it in the end because I yeah. think my number one, probably your number one. Um, Definitely my number one. <laughs> yeah, let's is, be honest. It's everybody's it's, number one, but we'll get to that shortly. But, yes. but this is the next best thing, and it's not too far behind. Yeah. Oh, well. I will be watching it. I'll let you know what I think of it. And in case anyone didn't catch that, it's Les Miserables. Same as, same as Les the Miserables, story. if Les you want Miserables, to kind of pronounce yeah. it properly. <laughs> exactly. That makes yeah. me sound awful. They do, they do mention Victor Hugo. There's, there's a scene where they show, I think it's Victor Hugo streets, whatever it is in, in mm. French, Cahiers, whatever. Um, it's Rue. literally, I think it is, yeah, Rue, that's the word. I think it is literally the name of a street in the area because I think where these projects, uh, I think it's real, a real setting. Um, for, for, for where there are projects in Paris. I think this yeah. is uh, where apparently Victor Hugo wrote the novel. So there we go. Okay. Yeah. Um, Excellent. The themes will continue to endure on the, on this same subject, won't they, through the ages? Yeah. Yes. Well, on the theme of number twos, what have you got? Let's move on to this number one. And number I'll one, be sorry, honest. number one, yeah. Yes, we know this is going to be everybody's number one. Does it begin with the letter P? Quite rightly so. It is, of course, Parasite. We had, I mean, I know it's your number one too, because we had quite a long discussion on whether it's a 2019 (laughs) film or a 2020 film. But as it got its UK release in 2020, and we were not a podcast then, we are going to count it now as a, a 2020 film. And it is the best film. I've seen this year. It, it, yeah. it is as simple as that. So for the for the ten people that haven't seen Parasite on the planet, where have you been? Where have you been? <laughs> uh, the Kims are a poor family living in a soul basement. Uh, the, their son of the family he blags a job tutoring the daughter of the Park family. Gradually, the rest of the Kims kind of manage to move in with the. Uh, with the rest there yeah with the rest of the uh the family uh the park family sorry i'm trying to look at my notes uh and all, all posing as highly creditable reputable individuals <laughs> they all move in with them and we're the big question is who is the parasite i think and uh yeah i, I mean i i don't want i mean i know most people have seen this but i don't want to go into spoilers let's be perfectly honest it's a Bong Joon-ho film. You never know what's going to happen next. I yeah. mean, a lot of films are very, very predictable. And rightly so. I watch a Jackie Chan film. I want to know that he's going to beat that person up. When I want to watch a Bong Joon-ho film, I want to be completely and utterly unsettled and and come out of scenes dripping with metaphor thinking, <laughs> what did I just watch? I need you, to watch want to, you want to go into it knowing that you're not going to know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, this film... It's an incredible, incredible piece of work. Yeah. yeah. Uh, first of all, Believe on the, title, the hype. Yeah. On the title, you're right. The, who is the parasite? That I love titles where, where it's possible to have them within a narrative where you, you can have multiple meanings. Well, what does this mean? That yeah. could mean this, that or the other. Um, 
and this this really does do that so it starts off on the right foot i'm not sure what the original title is whether it's a direct translation or not no, yeah, i think it is not. i think it is a direct yes. translation yeah. i think he had to have Bong Joon-ho had to have conversations with the kind of distributors yeah. about leaving it open to interpretation. Yeah. Because so obviously be. yeah. the, the insinuation is the Kim family are the parasites because they move in with this family. Yeah. But at the same time, the family that they move in, none of them, they need driving about. They need their dishes washed for them. They need all these other things done for them. Uh, and and something like for the son of the Kim family to buy the house that they live in, it would take him 564 years or something. They tell yeah, at the end yeah. of the film. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it's a film dripping with metaphor uh, and it says yeah. a lot about class conflict, social inequality, wealth disparity, colonialism, imperialism. There are so many themes and yeah. so many undercurrents. And There's this whole thing about overground, underground, isn't there? That's a big thing. Yeah, that, on what le- I mean, literal and what, what levels of the house that they're in, or where their yeah. social standing is. There's yeah. there's so much going on. It's and I mean, I don't know. I'm, again, it was um, again. It's another writer director film. I know that Bong Joon Ho got somebody else to kind of come up with the premise, and he gave him a bit of guidance, and then he had a lot of input into the film, but. There are so many, I mean, there's so many stylistic flourishes with the, the peach allergy and the, um, the son of the Kim family is obsessed with Native American Indians. Yes. And he has this stylized version of what they are as compared to the reality, which at a kind of surface level just seems like, oh, he's just playing cowboys and Indians. But then you think about, yeah. well, he's bought into the whole the Indians are just playing kind of narrative and he associates with, with them as being the underdogs and etc. Yeah, I mean, every yeah. part of this film it could just be discussed and discussed and, and philosophized all over yeah, the place. Especially now in Trump's, Trump's America, which we've now just seen the end of, uh, but we're still going to see the aftermath of for a while. Yeah. You could talk about that whole notion of the American West and, you know, the the Western idea of cowboys and Indians and this whole good and bad and this really basic concept that seems to permeate into into even the modern society of, of just black and white by the literal or metaphorical blacks and whites in terms yeah. of um, people's perception of villainy. And it just it just transforms across the across the water, doesn't it, to, to Korea. Yeah. Um, a lot of the same themes do permeate. What's what's really interesting for me is um, in the trivia section on IMDb, they write they, they, there's a bit which at the top which says Bong Joon uh, Ho's stories storyboards everything, and that means he never has to shoot coverage shots as everything is planned out precisely. Hmm, that sounds very familiar with what we were talking about last time on the Alfred Hitchcock yes. theme. And in fact, going into further detail on it, it says. Um, I'll try and find the uh, yeah he said the film i mean obviously the parasite yeah. uh, makes several nods to alfred hitchcock throughout stairs are used as a motif voyeurism is used yeah. as characters watch scenes through windows 14 times and brackets most obviously close brackets there is a brief glimpse of an out of place alfred hitchcock collection in the park's home so yeah. as we I mean, in, so in many his, filmmakers in, in his oscar acceptance speech he did name check martin scorsese yeah and i do think yeah. this this kind of is kind of half Scorsese, half Hitchcock. Yeah, 
Yeah, it is. I it? think it got, it's kind of it yeah. occupies a kind of weird middle ground between between the two. Yeah. The only thing I feel absolutely disgusted with myself about is the fact that I've only seen this film once because I saw it at the cinema on release in the UK, which was... I think you watched the colour version, not the black and white one. Yeah, colour version. 7th Feb, uh, it was released. I watched it in the... I don't know if it's the first week of release, but I saw it on release in the cinema. And I haven't had an opportunity to watch it again. That is a film I already know I could watch multiple times. And as other people have already said uh, in, in various mediums, um, like you, you can get more out of it, can't yeah. you? Every single time you watch it. And I do want to see the black and white version. But apparently, that offers a whole new perspective. Um, well, on, they, on the yeah, film. well, they're also making a TV miniseries, which kind of scares the hell out of me at the moment. But Bong yeah, Joon-ho same, is involved. Same with Snowpiercer. Yeah. yeah, and he said that it would explore the stories that kind of happen between the sequences of the film. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, if if anyone hasn't seen this film, please uh, and and screw it, screw the whole thing about subtitles. Just you you get used to subtitles. Yeah. If you haven't seen films with subtitles or you haven't got used to them, you do. I've watched films for years now without even thinking about the fact I'm it's, reading them. And I'm not yeah. intelligent to anything. And and this is a film degree. that literally from the first minute to the last is constantly surprising, constantly gripping, constantly tense, constantly interesting. It's, it's and it really has, funny as well, isn't and it? And it has it's several funny. moments where you think, what the hell is going on? <laughs> One or two in particular. What is yeah. going on? It's just, I didn't, I just never saw that happening, you know? Yeah, I mean, the scene outside in the garden, late in, late in the film, you know, for example, uh, it just seems to go escalate into a, a whole new world of what, what the hell? You know, I mean, Bong Joon-ho, he's been lauded quite rightly. And I did a bit of reading up on this and his attention to detail is, I mean, he's cockian. Well, yeah, I mean, he he designed the layout of the house. Yeah, he had the set built. So when you watch the film, it was it was all done on the set and anything beyond the garden is special effects. Yeah. So and, and he laid it all out. In a certain way, so obviously, so he could film it, film it, but that each character or characters had their own sort of part of part of the yeah. uh, of the house, yeah. uh, which kind of puts a mindset, doesn't it? Yeah, and he also um, had a great deal of involvement in the subtitles as well before it went out, and he kind of ah, is that right? Which, which in a lot of films they're released, they get a translation, it goes out, and sometimes those translations are awful. I'm yeah. speaking as someone that's watched a lot of Hong Kong cinema. Yeah. And also <laughs> um, you, your, your wife's French. She would have yeah. picked up a number of things. Oh, my yeah, wife's definitely. Japanese. She would have, she's yeah. constantly picking and up. My on, wife speaks quite yeah. a lot of Japanese and we've seen yeah. the same. It's quite a lot of Japanese yeah, yeah, films. Yeah. Um, he, he had real involvement in quite a lot of the, what word do we use here and what word do we use there and the English word here and the Korean word here. Oh, that's good. You want yeah. that attention to detail, don't you? It could be an overlooked element, subtitles. I'll oh, just get it roughly right. doesn't matter. No, you want it to be, you want to get as clear a, yeah. a, a possible version of, of the, of the original film, as true a version as you can. Um, which is why I despise dubbing because dubbing yeah. by oh, default. No takes away the actor actually speaking of japan in japan they are the masters of um dubbing they have the best voice actors they always have someone who is incredibly it's the home of anime so it's going to be yeah but they 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 have actors who are not only very good at their job but are uncannily similar 
to each actor. They've they've got people that their job is to be Michael Douglas or you know Tom Cruise or wherever yeah. it is. That that's their job, and they and they're quite good at it. So you get a Japanese version of Tom Cruise. It's it's you, something I found out fairly recently that I thought was hilarious was that Tom Hanks, right. His main character, you know, is obviously Woody from Toy Story. Woody is franchised all around the world. So Tom Hanks hasn't got the time to do all of the computer games, the toys, the books, the audios, yeah. everything else. Yeah. So do you know who does Woody's voice everywhere around the world? Go on. I don't know. Tom Hanks' brother. <laughs> Perfect. So moving onwards, um, <laughs> going back a few years before he turned into a mental racist, Mel Gibson had quite a big <laughs> career where he, he voiced quite a lot of main characters. Yeah. And then he obviously did Pocahontas. So who do you think does the voices of, of Mel Gibson in Pocahontas 2? Mel Gibson's brother? Exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> Mel Gibson... We we hate you. Um, I think Mel Gibson's got the job back now, to be honest. Yeah, Apocalypto was quite an interesting film, actually. But anyway, but aside yeah, from that, he's, that's great. Yeah, he's, he's yes. a nutter, though, isn't he, Gibson? Anyway, but, yeah. but no. Go, speaking about Parasite, that scene, yeah, there's various scenes centered around a space adjo- adjoining to the kitchen, and yeah. that that stuff. We again, we won't go into the detail, but that stuff had a whiff of David Lynch kind of Lost Highway yeah. about it. You know, that whole dark void that becomes you know ambiguous yeah. what is that space you know it's it, it had it was really funny as well there were there were bits of it that were oh, really so, funny yeah. and, and a film that le- can do that yeah and the leading man in it um i'll be honest i can't remember his name i can't remember his um, name uh he is in a almost all of uh, bong joon ho's films yeah he, yeah he's, yeah yeah, he, he, I saw actually this year, I think it's from 2013, the film Memories of Murder. Have you seen oh, that's that? That's fantastic. I've, it's a great film. I, I saw that I, in, in the cinema. In the wake of watching, I've got to be honest, before this year, I hadn't watched any of his films, and like most of the the, uh, the world. And uh, after watching Parasite, uh, my wife and I watched every single one of his other films afterwards. So if you've got any interest in what one to watch next, I think my number two was probably Snowpiercer. My number three was probably Okja. My number four was probably Memories of Murder. My number five was probably The Host. And my number six was probably Mother. And my number seven was probably Barking Dogs Don't Bite. But they're all worth watching. Well, I've seen the top four, and I'd probably put them in the same order as you. Uh, The others, one of them I might have seen. I'm not sure. The other two I haven't. Um, Kang Ho Song is the first name on the cast list. I think that is... He's 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 in Snowpiercer and Memories of Murder. Yeah. Oh, no, it might be him. Yeah. 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 Okay. It's either him or Lee Sun Kyun. (laughs) But there we go. So our our top film of the year, and it was released on the 7th of February... It's one um, of those few occasions. It's the first time I would say since Return of the King, the best films won the Oscar. So let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and that was magnificent. That was magnificent because a foreign language film wins the Oscar rather than I the know. best foreign language Oscar. It's, it's mad. I mean, it makes you think. And what, I mean, that Trump opens hated the it. Trump hated it. Yeah. That's, that's even better. <laughs> he hated it even more than Borat. 
that's, that's quite impressive for it, isn't it? Yeah. I Maybe mean, you saw the underlying Hopefully metaphors. that will <laughs> kind of open the floodgates and make people a little bit more interested in what other cinemas coming going on around the world. We we yeah. we shall see. We wait with bated breath. Yeah. And I cannot wait it. to see what Bong Joon Ho comes up with next. Oh, he's such an interesting filmmaker. And let's face it, so many films um people are missing out on if they don't watch um subtitles films but we only get a section of what's made we miss so many good films don't we from around the world that just don't get a release here or if they do it's so minuscule i've got to be honest this year i've been on a really big how do do i say this without saying a bit strange i've been on a korean bender um so (laughs) that's got to be the name of the episode (laughs) that'll be a plot spoiler though (laughs) yeah maybe that's something we should visit in uh future episodes because there's so much good stuff coming out of of south korea at the moment we could do a korean special of some sort um whether it's film fives or something related i don't know we 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 can uh, play with the format a little bit there are the same um, title there are a lot of very very good films very very yeah. well very very interesting films coming out of it so uh, absolutely out of that area of the world wonderful well i think i'm I'm pretty pleased with the choices we've come up with um I'm i've got three out of five in my uh russell prediction so you know yeah 60 I, I think that's, i think that's a decent result phil i think that's pretty good because i i think i threw a couple of curveballs in there so so my other two tricky. predictions of what i thought you would have were Jojo Rabbit and Mank. I knew you were gonna Yeah, I knew you were gonna say that. And sorry? Mank. Mank. I haven't seen Mank actually. Yeah. I didn't really enjoy it very much to be honest. It, That's why you thought, thought I'd it, like it, didn't you? It was a bit <laughs> slow and boring. It was exceptionally well I mean, I love David Fincher. Let's let's be honest. I love mm. his films and T V shows even more are fantastic. Um but I'm not that interested in how Citizen Kane got made, I've got to be honest. Yeah, really? I love Citizen Kane, and I have I to know, say, I don't, I'm not saying I don't. I'm I fell asleep saying... first time I saw it. Second time, yeah. I thought it was one of the greatest films I'd ever seen, uh, which is in complete contrast to the snooze fest when I first watched it. Um, it just shows that when, how, what state of mind you're in when you see films makes a difference as well. Um, but in terms of like honorary um, mentions, um, yeah. my long I've got list. Set, I've got quite a long long list of honorary mentions. Well, let me let me go through mine first because I've got, yeah, I've sure. got Jojo Jojo Rabbits in there. First of January, one of the films released yes. that day. Um, that is on my long list. I really enjoyed the personal history of David Copperfield. I haven't seen that yet. That's on my uh, short good. list of ones to watch. Yeah, it's what they call colorblind casting. They've got yeah. Dev Patel and they've good. got. Um, They've got another guy in it, in it, in it as a role as he is a Yorkshireman, but he's a, a Chinese guy uh, yeah. playing a brash Yorkshireman uh, character. I like, I quite like that. It's interesting. It really yeah. does provide an interesting dynamic and freshens up the story. And and Dev Patel's brilliant in it. And it's it's a really uh, what's the name? Uh, Tilda Swinton is great in it as well. Oh, she's great in she, everything. She's always good. I'm yeah. slightly off put by. Um, is Dev Patel the one that was in the last Richard Curtis film? Is it is that? Is he the same guy or not? Uh, he's he's in um, he's in um, uh, Slumdog Millionaire. Oh no, that's somebody else. I'm, I'm getting mixed up. I'm Marigold Hotel and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Slumdog. Um, Slumdog Millionaire is a fantastic film. Yeah, yeah. Um, some other avant-garde stuff. I thought you might have guessed that I was going to put in. Yeah. Include um, the Lighthouse. Have you seen that, Willem Dafoe? I haven't. Um... The guy who made, 
Yeah, the guy who made it, his previous film was The Witch. And I'm a big fan of horror. And I thought that was one of the most terrible horror films, most boring horror films that I've ever seen. I thought it was awful. It's just (laughs) Finchie from The Office going, oh, thou my wife, thou must do this for an hour and a half. (laughs) I thought it was awful. So the thought of him doing a black and white film with Robert Pattinson didn't really excite me. Pattinson's interest I, I forgot it was him actually which is interesting when I was watching it I knew before I went in by the time I started watching it I'd forgotten who was in it Willem Dafoe is Willem Dafoe he comes Dafoe, you know his yeah. name comes to your head when you see him but Pattinson I completely forgot it was him until afterwards um incredible yeah. incredible film very avant-garde um it's it's kind of very art housey um it's off the wall it's strange it's Again, it's got a dreamlike qualities to it. Um, it's something nightmarish, something cartoonish almost about it. Interesting film, though. Um, also, one of the films I would have put in um, was Baccarat, um, which okay, is a Brazilian film. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's interesting. It, yeah. It's got, I think it's Udo Kier, I think his name is, German actor, who's um, who always yeah. plays really dodgy, edgy characters in yeah. films. He's uh, He's in it. It's um, again, I don't really want to tell you what it's about, actually, because what it's about is something that that becomes apparent a short, a fairly short way into the narrative. And if you don't know what it's about, you don't want to know what it's about before you start watching, if you know what I mean. Um, Interesting film. Um, I don't want to say anything about it. I'll add it to my list of films that I need to watch. Yeah, back around. It's basically the name of a place which is on the map but suddenly isn't on the map and you wonder why. Okay. And then there's a bunch of characters. Some of them are local, some of them are not. And you're not quite sure what's going on and some weird shit's happening. So I'll say no more than that. Um, rooks, uh, sorry, not Rooks, Rocks. Have rocks, you... rocks was fantastic. I loved that. That. that was very close to my top five. I thought that was, was very close to my film. top five as well. It was one of those real kind of, it felt like a Corriedar film. It, but an English one. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it was yeah. kind of one of those slice of life. It felt almost like watching a documentary, you know, and yeah. it was it just did. so it well done. Way. And the performances were absolutely yeah. fantastic. It felt so real. So honest. It so did. Genuine. It did. And I cried watching it. And that doesn't yeah. happen. Well, that way, d- that does happen same. quite a lot. <laughs> yeah. You get into a certain age, Phil. Yeah, you know? I know. Exactly. <laughs> you just think, how can things like this happen in 2020? <laughs> I'm, I'm the same, really. I'm, I, I kind of felt pretty emotional with it, and it's um, it's a fairly straightforward narrative in some senses. Yeah. There's not there's not an awful lot of peril or unexpectedness going on. It's yeah. it's just a really honest story about what life's probably like for people in 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 a city, London. Yeah, uh, simple as that, really. Um, and it felt real, really real. The performances are brilliant. Again, there's no one yeah, I knew I'd ever heard fantastic. of before. Yeah, they're all young actors as well, and brilliant. And I really hope they go on to have good careers if they're going into the acting game because they're yeah. they're superb. Um, what else have I got? Well, my other ones. Um, I had Queen and Slim, which I thought was last year, the previous year, but I it's not apparently. That. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good film. Um, it's um, inadvertent. Uh, villains on the run, I suppose you'd say. Okay. Um, two characters, a couple, get into trouble through no fault of their own to do with the police being dickheads. 
it's got race connotations. Yeah. Um, they go on the run. There's kind of a Bonnie and Clyde element to it. Yeah, I've, I've heard of it. And it's one of those things I think yeah. I need to watch that, but I haven't quite yeah. got to yet. Again, it, it, it takes its own time. It, it goes in its own direction. The performances are superb. The actors are brilliant. And I like the ending. I'll say okay. nothing more than that. I think it's a really, really, really good film. Worth. Um, it's a good solid. I love films like that because they, they depict characters in a very sympathetic way again without any emotional contrivances it it really is just an honest depiction in a very different way rocks is is the same kind of thing but in in a very different way um the other stuff i had on my short list was St. Maud was an interesting film. I haven't um, seen that that's on my list to watch that was one of those ones i'm thinking well that's that's got me written all over it yeah i recommend having a look I don't want to say any more until you've seen it. At the it. moment, I'm, it's a tenner on Amazon Prime, so I'm just leaving it until it comes. Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll get cheaper or free eventually. <laughs> but um, sit and wait. There's no rush. It's not one of those. Um, mm. It's not a must-see event type thing. Yeah. But when you get an opportunity, worth a look. I'll be interested yeah. in your views. It's It's got some realist elements. It's got a fantastical, very dark element to it, particularly towards the end. Um, she's brilliant in it, the main character. Yeah. Um, and my other film I wanted to mention, also with a re- superb performance uh, at its centre. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, Calm with Horses. No, I haven't even heard of it. It's a, it's a, um, well, it's British or, or Irish um, film, okay. I think. I, I'm not sure where the money is in it. Yeah. The, the filmmaker, as far as I'm aware, is English. His name's Nick Rowland. I saw it at the excellent Art House Cinema in Crouch End, which we are members. Okay. Of, and which we occasionally like to get to when we're allowed, um, yes. which is a great little community-run cinema. It's so nice, really nice little place. And they put on a load of interesting stuff. And we had a Q&A with the director um, after lockdown, so in the late summer. Yeah. So we were all there with masks on watching the film oh, and then having a Q&A. And co- I love things like the- that, though. It's, it's, it just it sort of brings you into it a bit more, doesn't it? It really does, doesn't it? And I mean, the, the film is, um, again, it's one of those films that's technically 2019, but was released here in 2020. Um, you've got um, the stars are Barry Keoghan, who you will probably know yeah, if you saw him. He's in, he's in The Killing of a Sacred Deer and yeah. um, some other stuff like that. He's a weird looking young lad. Um, it's got a guy called Liam Kearney, but the main guy, one of the main guys in it, um, and Barry Keoghan and him, are both excellent. This this other guy's called Cosmo Jarvis. And okay. I'm not joking, this guy's presence is truly phenomenal. It's Brando-esque, Marlon Brando. Oh, okay. Well, In I terms of his that. both his physique and his his way of acting is entirely similar. Um and the theme is along a similar lines. So he's not a boxer on the waterfront or anything like that, but yeah. There's a similar general theme. He's this kind of brutish looking guy with a there's a heart under there somewhere and there's a lot more to him than meets the eye but he's a tough and he gets into situations and um again it's not a very conventional narrative it it takes you in different directions you're not quite sure it's going to go but i found him and it compelling really recommend it i will i will dig it out yeah and that's calm with horses yeah so phil what else have you got do you mind if we take a brief comfort break and uh, I will be back because the beer's gone right through me and I will be back shortly yeah we could do that absolutely no problem Uh, a brief intermission it is 
cue organ music. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. I've been desperate for the last five minutes. You no problem. My face screwing up. I'll be back shortly. All right. No worries. Okay, so part three of three, the epilogue. Phil, you've had your comfort <laughs> so, break. You feel, yes. feeling more comfortable? So I am, thank you. So other films I very much enjoyed uh, this year. In terms of comedy, um, I really did enjoy, more than I thought I would, Bill and Ted Face the Music. I thought that was mm. – I didn't think that was a film that we needed – but I sat no. and watched it with my kids and I, I've got to be honest, I loved every single minute of it. Um, <laughs> another film that I thought was really, really good uh, was Palm Springs. Have you seen that? I haven't seen that. No, no. It's a kind of Groundhog Day comedy, but hmm. uh, it's, it, it shares a lot of the same DNA with Groundhog Day. I really enjoyed that. Um, Jojo Rabbit, I thought was yeah. interesting. Uh, I really enjoyed that. In terms of kind of moving on to the sort of science fiction fantasy and horror i really enjoyed a spanish film called the platform that was on netflix that was very dark very interesting uh, another film on amazon called the vast of night which i thought was really good another sort of 50 set science fiction film which not a lot happened in but it was v- technically very well directed and very well acted and just a very very interesting film um i quite enjoyed the old guard um it was all it was okay in terms of the netflix films this year i absolutely loved extraction the uh chris hemsworth actioner it was basically chris hemsworth does hard boiled in bangladesh i mean what's (laughs) not to love in bangladesh have you seen it no no oh mate funnily enough (laughs) it's the most viewed netflix film of of all time Bloody hell. So if you look at Netflix original content and the films they've made, I, I kind of looked at it and thought, what, what are the most, I thought like the Irishman would be number one because you just think it's, that's number 10. So the wow. most watched film on Netflix was Extraction, which they're now, which was basically <laughs> Chris Hemsworth shooting Bengali gangsters for two hours or an hour and a half or whatever. David Harbour from Stranger Things cropping up and doing a cool little cameo in the middle, give you your breath back and then you straight back in with all the shooting again. I yeah. absolutely loved it. I quite enjoyed Bad Boys for Life uh, on the theme of uh, I thought Bad Boys 1 was fun. I thought Bad Boys 2 was absolutely terrible. Bad Boys 3 genuinely quite enjoyed. Um, in terms of documentaries, there, there's been three this year that I've, I really enjoyed. Uh, the Beastie Boys story was very, very interesting. It was that basically Spike Jones directed them doing a stage show, standing up on a stage talking about their career, but it's very funny and very interesting. Another documentary about the ACLU, The Fight in America, which had me in tears, and The Social Dilemma, another a um, Netflix documentary about the impact of social media, um that scared yeah. the hell out that's probably the worst horror film that i've seen this year i've got to be perfectly honest um another film that i really really should mention is uncut gems yeah oh that's a cracking film yeah. that definitely that 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 was well inside my top 10 and something i'd like to talk about adam sander was absolutely electric in that I yeah he's a funny character isn't he because he's really he's really terrible good stuff in and some films and terrible in other stuff other yeah. films. Mm. and yeah. he, some of it and it is comedy films some of them he's genuinely hilarious in it. some of them I just mm. want to punch him in the face 
Punch um, Strong Love is great, isn't it? The Paul Thomas Anderson film. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, in terms of British films, I thought there were a, an inordinate number of good British films this year. Uh, you mentioned Rocks. There was another kind of similarly low budget film called The Days of Bagnard's Summer, which had, uh, mm. which I really, really enjoyed. Um, yeah. Similar kind of thing. I absolutely loved The Gentleman, the new Guy Ritchie film. That was <laughs> exactly like that. what you'd expect from a Guy Ritchie film. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, and Hugh Grant in that. Just so, good. Oh, yeah. so, yeah, he, so good. He you just want to watch that. more films with that character because he just had, every time he's in it, you just think he's hilarious. He's enjoyed himself, isn't he, the whole way through that? Yeah, a uh, couple of good horror English horror films out this year. One was called um, His House. Mm. Which that was, was a really interesting film. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was about yeah, set in Dover, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and a kind of it was a, a, a Syrian refugee who was put in a haunted house. Mm. Um, very interesting, not something I'd seen a lot of before. There was another one called uh, Host, which technically qualifies as a film, although it's only about fifty minutes long. Which mm. is basic. Have you seen it? Yeah, the Zoom I session so, yeah. where they kind of that have one, a yeah, yeah. I yes, thought that yeah. was great. I mean, that was. It kept my attention the whole way through, and I was gripped, and it went in places you really didn't expect it to go into. So, and I think that's pretty much, yeah, most yeah. of the films that I've. It's I've a flexible this form, year. isn't it? Fifty minutes is fine if it's the right length. It's the right. Yeah, length. a yeah. similar one of that length. Um, I don't know if it counts as a film or not. Would be uh, Death to Twenty Twenty, the uh, Charlie Brooker roundup of the year that he did oh, yeah. on Netflix, <laughs> which was hilarious yeah. and depressing in equal measures. Absolutely. Charlie Brook has always good value. Yeah, um, yeah I, I had um, his house in my list as well. Um, my long list also, I've noticed, included Invisible Man. Uh, Tenet, I thought was disappointing. Yeah, um, a friend, uh, of, I saw, a fr- I was speaking to a friend of mine before I watched it. He said it was the worst film he'd ever seen and he hated it with an absolute passion. Yeah, um, I thought it was too long, overwrought boring uh, and i uh, maybe well, it's got, me getting old i found that, that this distorted dialogue thing i just think it's shit yeah. i just it's irritating I, I, the mate that i was talking to he was very much of the mindset of the nolan brothers jonathan does the good interesting writing and christopher does the interesting directing and this time around jonathan was off making westworld and christopher was left to do his own thing and that's why we got all ten in uh, there we go yeah that, that, I, that, that's I was the theory I, I really wanted to enjoy it i wanted a big big summer blockbuster i sat and i watched it and i'd heard it was confusing and i tried to concentrate on everything that was going on and then about two-thirds of the way through i stopped caring really and that's not a good sign it's they're not, trying to is it? he's trying to make it interesting by being confusing it isn't interesting by being confusing it's just irritating exactly Um, i I find those films frustrating and i when i lose faith i'm a a big chris nolan fan i pretty much love his entire output yeah um absolutely um his house you're right that was a really good little film um intriguing where where it took you as well that 23 walks a really genteel little film about uh Two, I think if I'm right, they're both no, they're not both widowed. One of them is widowed, one of them is estranged. Um, coming together, it's it's just a two hander romance, small scale British story, 
okay, just on TV, it but it was it was cinematically released. That was a nice old film. Um, and uh, Enola Holmes, which was oh, it was all right. That was okay. That was, it was okay. Fun. I watched it with my kids. Millie Bobby they, Brown. They they quite Stranger it. Things. Henry Cavill. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, my kids yeah. quite enjoyed it. It was. It's it wasn't as bad as I. It, it, they made me watch We Could Be Heroes, which was terrible, and for which I will never <laughs> forgive them. Uh, so we, they also made me made... watch the Harley Quinn film, which was even worse. Oh, so no, 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 um, no. <laughs> of the films I watched with my kids, that was one of the better ones this year. Oh dear, fair enough. Um, the other stuff we alluded to it earlier: Small Axe, Steve McQueen, uh, yeah. exceptional work. Um, yeah, I, 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 I put this down a small screen fair because it was released for the small yeah. screen BBC stuff. Um, McQueen has been brilliant. All this stuff, oh, Hunger, Shame, uh, Twelve Years a Slave. There's, there's those, at least yeah. uh, some elements of that that everybody could take something from. The, this was a series of five films on the subject of ethnicity within England, particularly within London. Uh, the first one in particular, Mangrove, which is the name of a restaurant that uh, some of the key characters run was probably the best of the lot. It's, it's the, probably the most powerful of the lot. Uh, that was superb. They had a film called Lover's Rock, which was That's, really... Yeah, I've heard. That was the one about party or something, was it? Yeah, they're just at a party, and it's really just about the party. Yeah. <laughs> There's not a great deal of narrative. It's just about how couples, or not, not even just couples, but people interact in a party setting. It's about people finding a reclusive space to enjoy parties outside of the usual conventions, I guess you would say. Lovers Rock being the backdrop to it, music-wise. Um, it was interesting. But Red, White and Blue, uh, starring John Boyega, of course, of Star Wars fame. Oh, okay. uh, he plays a guy who wants to become a policeman in, I think it's 70s, or possibly very early 80s. I think it's 70s Britain. You can imagine how ambitious a concept that would yeah. be for a black, a young black man in England. Um, but really, really good uh, story. Um, they're all an iPlayer, aren't they? So we'll be watching. They're all an iPlayer. Check them all out. Alex Wheatle is the next one. It's about a kid growing up in school, and then there's another one on a similar theme called education. So there's five of them. They're all exceptionally good. I think Red, White, and Blue and Mangrove are probably the best of the lot, and possibly I can't remember which of the last two, Alex Wheatle or Education. One of those is really, really good too. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I'd recommend all those. Now, Phil, just to finish off. Unless you've got any other things you wanted to mention. Yeah, so I just wanted to just mention the worst films that I've seen this year. We've oh, yeah, that, that was it, yeah. yeah. To that earlier. So the worst film that I saw at a cinema this year by a country mile was Wonder Woman 1984. <laughs> two and a half hours long, ten minutes of action, two and a quarter hours of God knows what. My Both my daughters turned around to me halfway through and went, this is rubbish, Daddy. <laughs> So I just really, nodded sagely. Yeah, that's not for me. But I think the worst film I've seen this year was another one my kids maybe watch, which was primed for a kind of summer blockbuster release. Was Artemis Fowl, and ended up going out on Disney Plus, and it was, it was just absolutely awful. <laughs> it was just completely terrible. Never watch it. Um, and the only other film I really didn't like was the. Uh, Will Ferrell film Eurovision: The Fire Saga. Oh yeah, heard that was quite bad. I, um, oh god, that was bad. Looking through my list of films, I, I keep a list of everything I've seen at the cinema. Dark Waters was quite a good film as well. That wasn't bad. Okay. Um, but about uh, poisoning the water stream in America, based on a true story. In terms of films, 
which I thought were poor. Do you know what? I can't really find anything that, that annoyed me. I think I must have been quite selective this year. Because oh, okay. I didn't see a huge number of films, and those that I did see were at least reasonably good. Um, oh, well, so I'm not sure I can actually add anything to your oh, list. Okay. And last night I watched uh, David Cronenberg's son Brandon's film Possessor, and that was absolutely bloody terrible. So don't worry <laughs> about that. Either. I've heard about that, yeah. It's yeah, just see, I'm, I'm avoiding all this stuff. I'm, I, that's, that's yeah, fine. I should have done, but I'm a sucker for anything that's got science fiction <laughs> or horror in the description. I'm going to watch it as a kind yeah. of matter. Of course, if it's got both, then I'm there. right well finally then for this episode i just wanted to proffer the notion of introducing our own film don't know if you call them awards accolades whatever you want to call them now based on the fact that we're both from sussex i'm now in london but from sussex you are still in sussex i'm thinking we should call these awards accolades whatever you want to call them the golden seagulls what do you think definitely yeah i'm all in Seagulls for the coast, golden, of course, anything to do with film seems to be golden, doesn't it? If it's yeah, an award. The palm door. Um, yeah, and so on and so forth. A notional initiative, really. Um, perhaps we can start by ordering the production of statuettes for presentations. I don't know. Maybe we'll leave that for later. Who yeah, knows? I think so. um, but what I thought was the idea of this would be um, we give our award for films it could be as many or as few per year it doesn't have to be done on an annual basis we can do it as and when we want but we will bestow the honor of a golden seagull or a silver seagull if it's not quite that good um on any films based on a number of criteria so you can get one or more seagulls or gulls for short based on just being an exceptional film uh exceptional direction exceptional soundtrack exceptional uh acting in general so not person specific acting in general and uh script and also we can have a miscellaneous one so if there's anything aside from that which makes the film exceptional to the degree that it's worthy of an award we can have a miscellaneous one as well so you could have five maybe even arguably six golden seagulls for one film at the absolute maximum now I'm proposing, based on A, last episode, the first episode, and B, the fact we want it to be classics to go in first, yeah. uh, putting up for award four nominees. We've, I think the uh, the general concept has got to be we both agree. Yeah. If, no, we both, if, if we both agree it's a golden one, if, we, if one of us agrees, maybe it goes to a silver. Yeah. Would that sound right? That's fair yeah. enough, yeah. And if, if we end up with more guests on than the two of us, we can we can rearrange the concept yeah yeah so i'm i'm proposing based on our top fours from the top fives of last time for the hitchcock we had the same top four in a different order we had vertigo we had rear window we had north by northwest and we had psycho those are i think without doubt hitchcock's best four films they are all absolutely sublime films any objections to those four coming off whatsoever there we go we have our first four do we put them on the basis of all the categories? How are we going to do this? Or do we do we think about that and then come back with the details next time? Uh, I think we come back with the... Uh, the yeah. They're all going to be in as best film. Giving a bit more thought when we're but, sober. Yeah. In the so, cold so light all... day. <laughs> so they're all best film. There might be additional yeah. elements to it. But they've got at least... They're in, they're in the door. Exactly how far in the door depends yeah. on... 
our conclusions when we reconvene next time for episode three. But for episode two, Phil, it's been a pleasure. Have you enjoyed it? All good? It's been great. And I'm kind of hoping at some point in 2021, we'll get to watch the big summer blockbusters that we didn't get to see in 2020, which basically means I really want to watch James Bond. <laughs> I've got to I be knew honest. that's what you meant. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not so interested in the Marvel films. I like the Guardians of the Galaxy and the Ant-Man, Ant-Man yeah, ones, the great. rest of them. I get a bit, they're all pretty much the same. I really want to watch James Bond. <laughs> so there we go. No time Hopefully we'll get, we'll get a bit, bit more of that this year. And uh, But I still think we had a very, very strong year with some very, very interesting films last year. Yeah, and, uh, despite everything. Quite curious to see uh, what we'll be coming up with. Yeah, this time and I, I seriously, uh, I, those films we've just listed are top fives. If you haven't seen them, I seriously recommend them. I also am going to check out the films that you've mentioned uh, from the other Poor director, the Busan director. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's that. I'm, I'm talking about the Korean She's going to love that. <laughs> <laughs> we shall find out soon. <laughs> Coming to a small screen near me very soon. Yes. Phil, it's been a pleasure. That's it's been the a pleasure as always. Two. At some we, point, I will set us up with social media accounts. Should anybody wish to uh, suggest possible uh, topics for future episodes, feel free to contact us. Yeah, there's a whole world of topics out there. there we is. haven't decided we're, what we're doing we'll in episode three yet. We? what we should do for episode three. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking forward for to it. One. Give me a chance to just swap up on a kind of a specific genre or director. Yeah. Director. Yeah. Yeah. And we can we can fluctuate between classics, new stuff, obscure new stuff, obscure old stuff, whatever. You know. Yeah. It yeah. could be interesting. Yeah. Excellent. In the meantime, Phil, thank you for thank joining you me. Thank you very that's, much. That's been episode thank two you of for Film Fives. For all two hours or however long we've been wittering <laughs> on for. You've got Congratulations, some power, guys. you deserve a medal. <laughs> Cheers. Until next time.